Okay, nice. Wow. Okay, well, we'll see. That's true, yeah. Um, he tried to skip church. I don't know that that's the thing Ida wants to hear. Um, yes, okay. Uh, well, I'll publish anything that Ronnie says that's not supposed to be heard. Just let me know and I will tell it out. Um, all right, so we can get the first screen up if you can. Um, and I'll just go ahead and off, off the cup talk a little bit. So I have wondered or often thought over the years, um, when you see uh, passages in the Bible about a physical appearance, you know, Goliath, his height was measured. Um, Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. You know, talks about other features in the Bible. David was ruddy. I think Solomon may have had like black locks or something of hair. And so the thing about um, Jesus and uh, you can just keep going. Um, we're uh, actually going to, you, you can see the title, but bottom line is I've labeled it God's storage center here on earth. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, I'm going to try to keep my thoughts going between the PowerPoint and the fill-ins and my notes. Um, the uh, thing about Jesus is there just wasn't any description. I mean... What really do, have the Gospels, have, have they said anything about his height? Was he big and strong? Was he small in stature? Was he bearded? How long was his hair? How, was he tall? Um, so on and so forth. There's just a lot and none of it's there. That fascinates me. Um, it's not that it matters, but it is a curiosity to me. So anyway, uh, let's go ahead and the next screen. Um, <clears throat> And y'all have fill-in sheets, is that right, for those that want them? Okay, there we go. Uh, and so that's a curious question there. Uh, and there is the fill-in, of course. Um, all right, anyway, the uh, other thing we want to talk about here um, is that there are famous moments in his cross journey. And I'm going to ask some questions. I don't really need answers, but... I'm going to just ask some questions. So um, it was a lot of uh, grisly stuff. There were uh, bad moments. He was punched before the high priest. Uh, you know, he took a lance, scourging. Um, blood and water bore witness that came out of him. The nails. Um, it was a long list, actually, of things. Um, so, Andrea, you don't have to answer this. Of these things that I listed, can you show me any evidence of those events? Um, so moving on to, say, some more obscure things. Uh, <clears throat> so, like, for example, it talks about him carrying the cross and stumbling. And so, Versi, can you show me any, any evidence here on earth that that happened other than the scriptures. You don't have to answer that. Um, at, his, at his last moment, and this was on the cross, he did have to pull himself up to breathe and he gave out his last with a cry and he gave up the ghost. So, Tim Pritchard, 
can you show me any evidence here on earth of that moment other than the scriptures? Um, Okay. 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 That is beautiful. So most, uh, thank you, Tim. So most preachers, if any, all have ever heard talk about Genesis chapter three, in referring to the crucifixion, where, you know, the bruising of the heel and the crushing of the head of the serpent. So. I don't know if any of you know, you can walk out there in the summertime and a copperhead or black snake taps you on the heel, it's, it's going to bleed, um, poisonous or non-poisonous. So, Sue, you know, you're not, don't get frightened, Sue, it's okay. <laughs> but the fulfillment of the prophecy of Genesis 3, can you show me proof of that anywhere physically other than the Scriptures? And then we're going to move right along. So we look up here and we see this. It's grizzly. That's the post and the beam of the cross, the sample of it. So the actual post and beam. Diane, can you show me evidence here on earth now of the post and beam somehow that it was on Jesus' back? So there's also the crown of thorns. There, is there any of it left, Roseanne, anywhere? The actual crown of thorns that we could go to and see right now. And so in my opinion, the answer to all these is yes, strangely enough. So um, let's see where we are on the PowerPoint. Uh, but before we do, let's stop over. And then we're going to stop over and hit <clears throat> John chapter 20. So uh, I might have Versi read here in a minute, but not just yet. Is this one working? I'm going to give it to Versi. Yeah, okay. Um, I just need to flick it on. Uh, we'll do it in a second. Um, so the, the synopsis is Peter and John are together. <clears throat> Mary Magdalene comes. Basically tells them that they've taken him away. Uh taking his body away, and then they go running, and they go to the tomb, and the whole moment is, you know, look in and believe. That's kind of the synopsis that I've always um, thought of that passage. And verse is going to read here in a second, but the reality is that is not true. That's not what happened. 
So, I mean, in a paraphrase, it is, but that moment where they believed is a big moment. Go ahead. Okay. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and believed. I thought looking into an empty tomb and was believing. But that's not it at all. I mean, so there's a lot went on that morning, and other Gospels talk about earthquakes, a lot of different things. Um... They're already told that the tomb is empty and he's not there. So they're running to something they already know is empty. But John puts in a lot of description. I mean, John gets very descriptive. What's he talking about? Linens. Of everything that's going on, you know, so... There were a lot of Romans there, enough that probably could have turned away a potential mob that would have come for his body. The tomb was sealed. So supposedly you can go there to the garden tomb now, and there are iron shafts embedded to the left and the right of the opening. That was one whale of a seal. It was gone. There's no soldiers. He's talking about linens. And linens again. So, um, we're going to get to that, and we're going to talk about linens, too. <laughs> then y'all come all the way over here on a Wednesday night to talk about linens. So, there is a fair amount of historical accumulation about ancient Jewish practices. Um, often, there could be up to three. So, immediately when somebody did, died back in Jesus' day, uh, either out of respect and some were superstition that the soul or spirit might fly away, they put an immediate head cutter covering over right away. Um, shortly after that, they would take that right off and then wrap the body. And so one of the linens also involved a strap or foot wrap. Uh, it went around and then bound around the foot, and that was one type of linen. And then the other, you can keep going, um, the first one was called sedarium. Now, what does that mean? That's famous, and people talk about it and get it confused. 
It's in a Catholic church in France, and it is a head covering. Um, and it's got a label, and it has blood stains on it, AB negative, and shows evidence of uh, someone that was wounded. Um, so that people read about that online, and they think, okay, what, what does all that mean? Well, it doesn't, I'm not saying it means a whole lot, but uh, John talks about that piece being put over on the side when they look in. So the next one, as you can roll the screen, is the Shroud of Turin. Okay, so um, let's take a picture of it. Let's go there. That's what I like to do. Come and see, Siri. Let's come and see. So this is what they saw. And 2,000 years ago, the image was much more vivid. It's difficult to see. Um, it is uh, a faded image of a man's body. So Becky's going to help me real quick. Let's just unfold this because it kind of helps. Um, this is it? No, it's not it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do this. This is the first time. Um, so let's uh, try it like this. Okay. And let's, uh, yep, there you go. You got it. All right. So it's approximately this big. Are you all the way at the end? Over 14 feet, uh, about three and a half feet wide. So, okay, the head is here and uh, all the way down to legs and feet of the front. The back of the head all the way down to the back and the back of the feet is on the other side. It's like this, like this. And then there was a bindery. Okay. There is an image on the back of his back and his head and the front. And you can show that next image to show his face. And it's hard to see, okay? But so let me tell you briefly about this. So there is, first and foremost, so there's, there is the uh, image itself. There's stains, there's blood stains here, 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 at the hands, and at the feet. Um, the image, just so you know, there's no science community in the world that can recreate it. Okay, it can't be imitated. They don't know how. Um, Right, so we're going to go through some of that. Because the other thing, too, is it, I mean, so the image in the, it itself, it was studied very heavily in 78 for 72 hours straight. Catholic Church let it out. And, and it was uh, studied with heavy machinery. It was studied with imaging. It was, and ever since then, those images people have been almost going on 50, 45 years, scientists have studied. Yes, and I'll go over that in a minute. But there is no science community that knows how to recreate this image. It's impossible, and there's no way else to, to give that synopsis. 
it can't be done. And we can go into why, but the image itself, we could spend an hour or two here and just go over what people have discovered in the last 45 years. Okay, so the next two, just hit the next one if you don't mind, because this is the same thing. Um, and then you see the body here, and then let's look at the face. It's clearer. This is the negative. So the image was taken in a negative. Science didn't invent negatives until the 1800s. So this event happened in the negative. Let me see where I am here. Um, Yes, please. That was his back, the back of his head. Oh, that's the back. No, this is the front of his face, yeah, which is, is very head. faint. This is very faint. Eyes, nose, mouth. Hands crossed. Right. And, and feet. What and what you're seeing here are burn marks when the cross was burned at some point in history. So that, that this is this is takes your eye away from the actual image. But all of this was because it was folded and then the, it burned. So the corner. There was a fire in the box where they kept it. Anyway, so I just wanted them to see what. Right. Yeah, and so there's the same thing, the face, the hands, the kneecaps, the feet, and the fire stains. The negative that looks like that. Right. Yes. So, and so, for, The 1800s, when they first started taking photos, they would take the negative and put it in in water and in solution, and then it would come out, and you'd get your, you know, those were the oldest photos. So, um, what were you saying, Tim? Rabelais. Okay, sorry. She has one, but yes, that's that's a good point. Um, okay, so let's see here where we are. Okay, let's do the next screen. Um, and part of this, I'm skipping and, and moving, it's, uh, it's a lot to try to cover. Um, I mean, this image has no pigments, 
It has no stains in the sense of like art. It wasn't painted. It wasn't drawn. Um, it wasn't some sort of chemical steam. You know, bodies release chemicals and they, because if that were to happen, when it were lifted off, the image would fan way out here. So it's none of the things that science knows how to do. Um, it's like a good river. Every good river has a cascade. And so we're going to go over the cascade of these miracles. Um, all right, so I'm going to read them quickly, and then I'm going to go back and hit some highlights. So one is a miracle of flowers. One is a miracle of blood. One is a miracle of scientists. Uh, another miracle of what his body was like. Um, there's a testimony of coins. There's a miracle of time. Um, there's a miracle of the image, miracle of key moments. No, but uh, I think, um, well, no, that's fine. Okay. Well, the, uh, the fill-ins are right there. Oh, I did. He can skip. He can skip a page, Tim, if you want to hit the next screen. There we go. Uh, oh, sorry. Yes. All right, we'll leave it on that screen, and what I'm going to do is highlight them. I mean, go back to the previous screen, if you can, and then I'm going to talk about them. I'm just listing them. We're going to be here for a few minutes. Um, so, uh, yep, is that, uh, is that the screen people want? Okay, um, all right, so we a miracle of key moments, um, and by that I refer to the crucifixion, passion week, miracle of all events recorded, because we'll see that what that means here shortly. There is a mystery of the lie, and I have to go over some of these. There's a mystery of ongoing discoveries. There's a testimony of art. And then this next, the end one, I'm not going to give it to you until the end. Testimony of blank gospel and the blank. So we'll, now, I'm going to talk about some of these. So the first one, uh, well, let's just talk about a miracle of blood. Oh, shoot. <laughs> it's supposed to be blank. Ah, Swanee. Okay. Anyway. Um. So the miracle of blood, so these stains on this shroud now are red, okay? They're red, and they've been tested as AB negative blood. They are blood. Blood doesn't stay red. Blood turns black. 2,000 years later. Scientists don't have an explanation for that. Some have guessed. I heard one come on Christian TV and say, well, maybe it's because they used preservatives when they made linens back then. That, that would be about the only explanation. That was what he said. He came, scientists came on Christian TV, I think, a few weeks ago. So that in and of itself, all right. So um, let's see. Uh, just a list of scientists, okay? So the miracle of scientists is partly because they can't recreate the image, they can't explain a lot of it, 
They can't even explain the blood. But what's been studied over the last, I mean, there's a multitude of doctors have taken these images. Textile scientists, photography specialists. There's NASA scientists who have studied this shroud. Blood pathologists, soil pathologists, chemists, botanists, archaeologists, nuclear physicists, particle physicists, forensic specialists that solve crime, scientists who have developed methods to scan the surface of Mars have taken an interest. Is that complex? Okay, so let me get my bearing because I'm multitasking on too many things. But should I do that? Okay, should I do that one? Um, um, let's see here. All right, so let's go. Let's go ahead and hit the controversies. I'm doing on time. Um, and that's the next screen, Tim. All right, so there seem to be about three main ones. One is where, where did it come from? I mean, it shows up in uh, France and then Italy in medieval time. So the other is chemical transmission and then the carbon dating test. So I heard one scientist, a couple scientists, say, well, the image was created by chemical transmission. I'm going to go ahead and address two of these pretty quick um, because these have to be addressed. It's been labeled as a forgery is what a lot of people have heard and presumed. So that's why it's not really on the forefront um, as a spiritual gift, so to speak. Uh, all right, so I talked about chemical transmission. You, you get a a body, body releases chemicals, it transfers on to the cloth. I've heard that theory a lot recently by secular scientists, that that was how it was done. At the same time, if you lift up a cloth in that method, it fans everything out. The image would look, something like my face would look like this. So that just doesn't work. Um, where did it come from? So it, it does appear first in, in Libra, Spain, and then it was moved to Turin. Uh, so, do what? Oh, France. I'm sorry. You're right. So, prior to that, it's like, if it's the burial cloth of Jesus, let's talk about origins. It obviously should have been in Jerusalem. So, there's a fable written down that in the first century, a king in Turkey, uh, Edessa, Turkey, um, wrote, sent... Uh, a letter carried to Jesus um, that he wanted to become a follower. This is a fable that's written down, a story. May have been true, may have been false. But that basically um, it, uh, it was him wanting to be a follower. And by the way, he needed a healing hand because he was ill. So I came back a letter. People brought a letter and the shroud and said he has departed from this world here put this on you it has healing properties supposedly he draped himself in the shroud and got healed um, but then his son was evil so it was hidden away and then rediscovered a few hundred years later then 
uh, the Byzantines found out about it, sent an army to come collect it and took it to Constantinople. Uh, kept it there for a long time, put, wrote things down, there's stories about them putting it on display. And then um, one of these Templar knights came and got it and took it to France, and where it shows up in history. So how does people know? Because uh, a couple of these are, are stories about its origins and beginnings. Well, let's go to these miracles, a miracle of flowers. There's a, a person in Europe who solved crimes by studying pollens. So pollen spores can last thousands of years. And there are pollen spores on the shroud. And so there's a collection of them um, that are only around Jerusalem. These pollen, these flowers occur nowhere else on earth. There's others that uh, are only around Odessa in Turkey. Nowhere else on earth. Others at um, Constantinople. And then the other two locations. So you can see that this has traveled and been exposed. Now, uh, one of the uh, pollens collected here is only grown in a, ra in a radius very close to Jerusalem. That's the only place on earth that it occurs. And it's a nasty, gnarly thorn bush. thorn bush and those pollen spores are here on the cloth so this investigator pulled all of these pollens off the cloth and studied them figured out what they were and traced the whole trail that he just described from from the area in Italy and France and then down in, into right into Turkey and then into Jerusalem, the Jerusalem area and this thorn bush. So, yeah, there's evidence in, in historical documents that you know are kind of questionable, but then you have these pollens that just that support every step of the way. There's actually leftovers of the crown of thorns on this shroud. It's still there now. Okay, so let's see what we have next. Um, all right, can we go to that video? This clip's pretty important. The identification of a body is the specialist task of the forensic pathologist. And here, in Los Angeles, they have the grim distinction of possessing the busiest forensic medical department in the world. Dr. Robert Buckley, forensic pathologist at Los Angeles for many years, is probably one of the most experienced investigators in this field. To a person experienced in the examination of injuries, this is a particularly interesting case. 
instead of having an adult human body to examine we have images of the front of the body and of the back of the body both of these show injuries of various types on the body all of which are shown in such detail and clarity that a forensic examination can be made the body is that of an adult male and the image as it appears here measures 5 feet 10 inches in length and the estimated body weight is 175 pounds the body appears to be about 30 to 35 years of age on the body is a variety of injuries ranging all the way from simple contusions to large areas of puncture where there has been an outflow of blood the wounds can best be divided into five categories the first group concerns injuries which appear on the back these range from the top of the shoulders down to the areas of the calf. They consist of double puncture type wounds which appear to go in a direction from lateral toward medial and downward. They have obviously been made by some implement with sharp edges and the implement was applied to the skin in a flicking fashion in such a way as to pull out bits of skin. Ve ne faccio vedere un tipo, uno dei tanti del, di quelli documentati. I will show you one type, one of the many documented, on which you can see the ends weighted with tachilli, as the Romans called them. These were heavy balls made of metal or bone. As you can see, this whip is divided into three parts, which, when applied, naturally multiplies the number of strokes. If we apply this to the photos of the shroud, for example to this one showing the calves, and if we put these small metal balls of identical size over it, you have a graphic documentation of the marks left by one of the strokes of the whip, and one only. On the left calf, they are the same size and from the same direction. Therefore, these two strokes were given by the same scourger. You can now see something even more disturbing by studying the shroud. There are trickles of blood caused by the metal balls which were sharpened. They had spikes at the ends. Applied to the life-size photograph, the proportions and measurements are identical. Complete examination of the holy shroud gives us two scourges because the directions converge, one from the right and one from the left and the number of strokes is excessive, more than 120. Also present on the back image are two areas of abrasion located over the shoulder blades. These are caused by a heavy object resting across the back. This is the cross beam. When talking of the cross of Jesus, imagine a beam that at the time of Pontius Pilate was put across the shoulders and tied on with a rope. Marks of this beam can be seen in the area of the left and upper right shoulder blades. These are contusions and lacerations from the scourging wounds, which spread under the weight of the beam. The second group of injuries are those which appear on the face and on the head. On the right cheek, over the malar area, is a swelling which has resulted in partial closing of the right eye. There is also an area on the nose where there is a separation and possible fracture 
of the nasal cartilage. On the tip of the nose is a small abrasion, possibly resulting from a fall where the nose came in contact with a hard object. That's where he was his fall the was unavoidable and, fell. and was one of the most common spectacles of those times. The consequences are very clear on the shroud. You can see the left and the right leg. The left leg at the kneecap has very bad laceration and contusion. It is evident that the left leg bent and hit against the stones. In the forehead and in the scalp is a series of blood stains, one of which has the configuration of a figure three. These appear not only on the front part of the forehead, but also on the back part of the scalp and high at the vertex of the head. They were made by sharp pointed objects which have projected below the skin and produced bleeding. Their configuration is such that the implement was like a cap which rested on the head. This wound, corresponding to a crown of thorns, probably more than any other, identifies the man as Jesus Christ. The Gospels state clearly that the soldiers invented this torture for him alone. It was certainly not normal Roman procedure. A forger would have included such wounds, but would have shown them, as all artists did, as a circlet. Instead, the whole head is covered, suggesting a rough clump of thorns. Almost certainly what actually happened. Yet one more graphic detail indicating the shroud's authenticity. The third group of injuries involved the area of the wrist and the forearms. And the left wrist is what appears to be a blood stain which has resulted from a puncture type wound of the left wrist. This stain has two divergent streams which extend downward. If the left arm is moved laterally to a position where these two divergent streams are vertical as a result of gravity, we have the position of the arm at the time of the flow of blood. <coughs> the blood stains which appear on the forearms are also consistent with two angles of blood flow. An injury to this part of the wrist will invariably damage the median nerve, whose function is to flex the thumb across the palm. It's interesting to note that there are no thumbs in these images. The next group of injuries are those about the feet, and they can best be seen on the dorsal image. The imprint of the right foot is pretty clear, and the heel and the toe are well defined. The left foot is less well defined. The left heel is elevated higher than the right heel, suggesting that the left foot was on top of the right instep and that a single spike was used to impale the two feet together. Crucifixion took many different forms, each carefully designed to provide a slow, lingering death. The wounds on the shroud, particularly the blood flows on the arms, make it possible to accurately reconstruct the form of crucifixion used and illustrate the awful technical realities. Firstly, the nails pierced the wrists, which, 
contrary to the imagination of artists down the centuries, is the only place that will take the weight of a body. Suspended only by the arms, the victim would die much too quickly, probably within minutes of suffocation. So the feet have been nailed to provide the support necessary to extend the agony. The divergent streams of blood indicate two distinct positions. In the first, the weight is mainly on the wrists with the body slumped. In the second position, to avoid suffocation, some of the weight is transferred to the feet, raising the chest and altering the angle of the arms. Thus the victim was thrown from one excruciating pain to another until exhaustion overcame or the legs were broken. It is even possible to calculate the final position on the cross. So the blood pathology. The last of the injuries is an apparent wound to the side. Here, in addition to a large outflow of blood from the heart, there is also evidence of another thin, watery type substance, which is best seen on the dorsal image where blood has flowed across the lower part of the back and is separated from the heavier blood components. The markings on this image are so clear and so medically accurate that the pathological facts which they reflect concerning the suffering and death of the man depicted here are, in my opinion, beyond dispute. Yep, it's all stored here. In this one place. So let's look at the next screen and just, I would like to let's list, this is grisly stuff, but I would like to see if we can hit the highlights. Some of them you won't be able to see, but um, Tim? There he is. No. Um, do we not have it on there? No, we're not going to that one. Uh, the one that has the list on it is that one. Okay. Now, some of these will be hard to read. But, uh, I mean, every, so the short version, so Latoya, I think every event that is recorded in Scripture about the crucifixion is stored on this cloth, except maybe that the Romans traded money for his 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 cloak i mean the nail scar i mean the nails um you know his height is there his size his stature he had his mustache in this image he has a beard he has hair about right here he's not a big strong person i mean it, it goes on though but it, uh it, it, here is where he was punched this and his kneecap show where he was he fell. The cross beam has left imprints across his back. The crown of thorns. The nail wounds. You know, first John talks about the testimony of, of blood and water. That's there. The uh, blood from the injuries, there's one in his side, and it, it this didn't show up in this video, but they have Roman lances still around, and it's the exact size of a Roman lance, this wound here. Um, there's, uh, there's a coin um, image 
uh, a lot of Jewish um, people put coins over dead bodies. Um, but you've seen how close the Roman scourge matched to the markings on the shrouds. I mean, you can see it at a distance. Um, you can see how the tapping of the crown of thorns. Uh, it goes on and on. I mean, Genesis 3 is fulfilled. You can see because most doctors who look at the shroud say that the blood coming out at, at his foot comes out its heel, comes out its heel where the spike was driven on the shroud. So that fulfills Genesis 3. Uh, Psalm 22 is fulfilled all over the shroud. Zechariah 12.10. It just goes on and on. So one of the questions then would be, um, let's, yeah, let's hit this next screen. Um, I mean, the blood pathologists show blood can, was flowing this way, and at the end it flowed this way. And this is where a person would have to pull themselves up on a cross to yell, breathe and yell. And it captured his final moment on the shroud. So, um, basically, uh, we get exactly the position of his body when he gave up the ghost. He took a selfie at the resurrection. This image was a light burst of the resurrection that plastered all this on the shroud. Are you going to say more about the, the image, the burst of light? Just a quick. Yeah, I can. Um, the other thing I was going to talk about um, before I touch on that, there is a miracle uh, of time because those who study it um, say that the Blood came first, and the image came later. And that fits the, because he bled and died on Friday, and he resurrected on Sunday. And so you actually have time stamps stored on this shroud. Um, so let's go to the last, a second to the last screen. And um, some people call it the fifth gospel. Because Jesus bothered to take a selfie when he was resurrected and put it here. And so the image is uh, impossible to recreate by science. There uh, have been increased numbers of people who've studied over time. Someone came here from Duke, who is a particle physicist. It started with a few scientists in the 70s. Now in America alone, um, there are three teams of nuclear physicists and one team of particle physicists studying this image because it's a light cast, which is physics, nuclear and particle physics. There are teams in Europe that are studying, physicists studying it as well. So um, one question then, is that pretty good? You add something to it. I was just going to say that the the running theory, because no one can explain what what it actually is, and the running theory right now is that there was this moment. It's it's like a burn mark, but it's only on the surface of the of the cloth, 
Um, and they've tried to recreate it using actual like burning technology and they can't, they can't recreate it. It's like, if you put it on the cloth more than like one, one hundredth of a second, it's too, it would go through more of the cloth than, mm -hmm. and it's just a, an and image on the surface. So they're, they're running theory right now, or the one, one of the ones that they mention um, on, on some of the videos we watched is that there was this burst of energy this momentary burst of energy that happened and that created this image. And it has, um, it's not just a um, like material on the cloth, it actually, well, it has depth to it. So it, it gets lighter the further away, like this recesses of the eyes are lighter than the nose is a darker part of the image and the recesses of the eyes are lighter. So there's depth to what it is anyway. Just the fact that it's, it's this burst, that is a burst, it's three-dimensional and it's a burst of energy that happened that no one can explain. And that, it, to me, is amazing. Yeah, I mean, you can actually see facial features, surface features like this spot on the nose where a person would, could potentially fall and bang their nose if they were carrying the cross. But then you see bone structure. And so these scriptures that talk about his bones weren't broken you see his bone structure, his leg bones are not broken. It's there on the shroud. So the question, so Virginia, just curious, why would God bother to do this? Yes. Now, well, the, the cross is for that, uh, yes. Why would he put all this on a shroud? We have scriptures. We have miracles. Okay. All right. Anybody else? I mean, we're going to try to close up here shortly because, uh, but, Anna, please. And, and we see that in Scripture. But why? store all this information on one cloth. Okay. God of detail. Okay. Okay. Well, let's, uh, can you hit the next screen, Tim? That's good. Latoya, thank you. Absolutely. So what would we learn from this particular snapshot of what's going on? We have scripture. We have all the scripture we need. Can we learn can we learn something from this? And let's do the final screen. You did. A lot of you did. A lot everybody who said something was right, in my opinion. Uh, so but is now let's get to application. Is there something here that any one of us can apply to our daily living? Let me give you an example. Let's just say, because so many of you are desire to spread the gospel at work, maybe let's just say one of you works in an environment where the work team is uh, angry all the time, anger outbursts, difficult, heavy spirit, and you come along and either tell them or send an email, hey, the Lord is telling me, you're trying to share the gospel to start that process, 
you're new there, and you say, the Lord has told me there's this angry spirit here, and we need to deal with it or it's going to cause trouble. And then the next morning, somebody has an angry fit, and they spill coffee on a $2,000 work-issued laptop. That's God's evidence stamp on what you did. We, uh, in other words, God can give evidence confirmation. Can we expect it when we live out the gospel and try to share the gospel? Can we expect God to give us evidence? I mean, we're giving people scripture they don't see. We're talking about a God they don't often see. Can we not expect that God is happy to give evidence? So if you, were you wanting to say something? Stretching that shoulder, yes. So if you do share the gospel and you feel like the Lord's leading you to a co-worker or something else, and yes, it's not really, you know, there's always prayer for healing and, and things like that, but if you, if you have that narrow window at work and you feel like the Lord leads you, can you not ask for evidence for God to come along after and give it a stamp? Verse E and then Virginia. Virginia and then Verse Yes. Wow, that's so great. That's amazing. Yes. Okay. That's awesome. Now, Versi, did you want to add something? Or? It's just like when we hear about the going out with treasure hunt, and the Lord lead us to certain ones or the Lord opens a door mm-hmm. that we can witness to. And the word tells us that we should lay hands on the sick and they mm-hmm. shall recover. And we, that's our, our testimony and our proof because the healings and miracles follow us. Amen? Yes. And so... You know, it doesn't take a whole lot. Just like you can say a short prayer, and God honors our prayers. He said he heareth us. We should be confident that he'll answer. Hallelujah. And so when we, when we touch on people, and, and even the unbeliever, that don't believe. Now, I had a person just this week. This is beautiful, y'all. He said... I said, do you believe? I was asking, can, can I pray for him? Mm-hmm. And I said, do you believe in Christ Jesus? He said, well, I'm a, he went on this long rant about being a Lutheran Christian and 
all this stuff. And I said, okay, all you got to do is believe. And I, he, he said, well, you can pray. That's how he said it. And I said, in my spirit, I said, God, do it. Awesome. For the unbelievers' sake. Yeah. Hallelujah. So I'm looking for a report on Friday nice. when I go back that God touched this body and did a miracle. So that's, that's, this, all this is a beautiful tonight. Amen. Okay. So that, that's amazing. So just briefly, I mean, there's that always, is there an extra step we can take? Oh, Ronnie wants to add something. Okay. Guys, I've actually studied this thing and looked at all these videos and been reading about this thing, the Stroud Eternal, for years. And what I like what, about what Ralph and Becky has done here tonight, this flies right in the face of this anti-Christ spirit that's alive and well in the earth today. And if this thing is spread like wildfire, for example, there's a group called Truth Seekers. Now, they've searched the scriptures out, and they've hung all on. They, they carefully select the scriptures that match them. In the Old Testament, they don't eat pork. They don't eat sailfish. They celebrate all these. They call themselves the real Jews, and they celebrate. They are nothing but the Antichrist. One of them said on a post, he said, I hope that Jesus does come back and I'm alive. I'm going to bust him right in the mouth. Mm. I mean, this is, and they post stuff like this. Mm. You know, so listen, this is the Antichrist alive and well on the earth today. This is a spirit. It's a spirit. You can argue with them all day long, but you're arguing with a spirit for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers. So you've got to deal with that spirit when you deal with these people. But stuff like this flies right in the face of that. I love it. I love it. If, if, if you're, you're familiar with Lee Strobel, he wrote, the, he wrote the book, The Case for Christ, and a lot of this stuff is there, The Case <coughs> for Christ. And then he wrote the book, then they did a great movie. Google it up and, and look at it. But I love this stuff because it slams right in the face of that Antichrist spirit. Yeah. So uh, we're probably going to circle up soon. Before, I just, part of this is I think some of us, it's good to have exposure, but some of us are timid to ask for a stamp. And I would say that we don't always have to have it from heaven. But these guys had heard a lot of things. They had heard Jesus tell them, talking about Peter and John. What was going to happen? Many times over. And they had seen day-to-day miracles. You know, verses. They had seen people prayed over and healed. They had seen a lot of things. And they had a moment of belief because they looked in and saw linens and talked about linens in John 20 several times. Sometimes that stamp, God is happy to give it. That miracle, there are miracles. There's the Word of God. This was plastered on that shroud and boom they looked in and that's what they looked at so this is the John 20 moment and then they believed so don't be afraid to ask for a stamp I mean you we 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 don't have in our day-to-day living when we're trying to live out God's kingdom because I feel like I mean there is scripture. There are miracles. There's a ton of things, but God gave a stamp anyway. We just looked at it. So don't be afraid to carry that forward. That's all. 
Uh, yeah, well, we'll, we'll uh, as far as the blanks, I mean, what, what blanks do we need? We can go over these. I think it's, it's worth saying something about the, about the carbon dating test because there has been a carbon dating test uh -huh. done and it, um, Oh, I forgot about yeah, the carbon dating yeah. test. Yeah, I mean, at least mention, mention it because if okay. you've never heard about it, it, someone's going to be like, oh, well, they, got, they did a carbon dating test, and it, was, it proved it when it was in the... the I had it in know, my outline. Medieval, it, was done, it was made in the medieval times, and it was a forgery, which there's a whole lot of evidence that says it couldn't be a forgery. Um, but uh, most people have written it off because of this carbon dating test. And yeah. there's, um, they haven't gotten to a point where they, where they haven't been able to do another one but there is a lot of evidence that the area that they took, um, they took it in this far right corner or this far corner where there was probably a lot of contamination. Um, and there's, um, there was a discovery made, um, but it wasn't by the scientific community. Um, so it hasn't been accepted by the scientific community, um, but that there was a repair done. Um, in that corner where they had done it. So it's very possible that there was a repair done in the medieval times and they snipped this little corner out, uh, out of it and they took something that was a repair that was not the original linen. Um, and then also it had been on display many times, could have been contaminated by people's hands and, and things like that. So it's, it, there, there's a lot, and then there's a whole, there's a, you could watch a whole video, an hour long video about how there was a lot of things that went down with the carbon dating test that were questionable and not necessarily good science. So that, like, the, it hasn't been completely routed, but there's a lot of evidence that says that it was not a good test that didn't tell the whole story. Um, and so it's worth yeah, it's worth so saying like you need to know that if you're going to go tell, talk to somebody about it, they're going someone might just write it off right away because of that carbon dating test. So one of the things is I said in the list there a miracle of the lie. So in Genesis the devil comes right in with a lie. Right after the resurrection, there's this organized lie that was paid and published that hey his followers came and took him away and this story's being told to this day. So this has a stamp of a lie and these people in England who created this process, they carbon dated it and they came out and said, oh, it's, it was done in the 1100s or 1200s and it's a medieval forgery. So she explained part of what was going on. The section they took had been repaired decades later and the other thing, though, is that they, they, they found out recently somebody had to submit a Freedom of Information Act on them because they, that for almost 40 years they covered up this institute that they had modified some of the test results. And they lied also, not comprehensively, but they lied about certain things and then the other thing was that every, every process they created to make it an accurate test, they avoided everything that they had outlined that they would do. So they created 14 points. This is what we have to do to create an accurate carbon test. And every one of them, they, they um, and it's a, it's a lengthy video of all the things that this British Museum Institute did, but 
we're finding out more and more recently that they actually modified some of the test results and they lied about it. So um, that's kind of a short version. Um, but everything that's valuable in the kingdom gets lied about. The more valuable it is, the more it gets lied about. So uh, thanks for coming. Are we praying or are we, is there, what, are we what is it you all want to do? I'm, I'm done. Okay. Circle up. Come on down. Okay. Circle up. Okay. <laughs>